Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! What's going on, Ball and Glove loving Brewer fans? Welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. I am your host, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Kurth, or you can read my articles by following or viewing The Brew on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod, or find us on YouTube by searching Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. Joining me, as always, is my cheesehead loving buddy, Trevor. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy podcast. He can be found on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. His writing can be found at Dairyland Express. So, Trevor, we're recording this on a Saturday morning after Thanksgiving. How are you doing after your turkey day? Pretty good. Got some coffee with me today. I had a good food-filled turkey day on Thursday. Um, I had two Thanksgivings, which I didn't even eat at the second one because I couldn't because I was in a food coma. But overall, it was a good Thanksgiving. The only thing that could have made this better is I, if I didn't have to work yesterday, which was Friday, uh, but I did. And, you know, other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Watched The Mandalorian this week. You know, all pretty good things so far. Yeah, I had two Thanksgivings as well. Spent some time down in ugh, good old bad Illinois, <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually paced myself accordingly uh, in terms of food consumption anyway. Alcohol that. consumption, different story, uh, but here I am. It's Saturday. I'm drinking beer and you're drinking coffee, so I'm coming well, out on top here. <laughs> it's fucking 10 o'clock in the morning. Come on, man. It's not it's day just... drinking if you don't start before noon. Well, yeah, that's true, <laughs> but yeah, I, I will stick with the coffee this morning. I will just tell you that Thanksgiving, I was the guy that brought a mini keg to Thanksgiving. So, you know, that was pretty cool. And uh, we're going to my girlfriend's dad's tonight. And I'm bringing my own beer to that. So that's exciting. Um, We're going to bring a few different growlers. And while they're all drinking my beer, I'm going to continue to drink the mini keg that I haven't finished yet. (laughs) Well, as a beer creator, I would expect nothing less of you than bringing your own beer. So, got to show off your work. Yeah, speaking of that, I'm going to have to have you drink one of those because I am not a fan. (laughs) Not a fan of that IPA I made. Hey, more for me, that's better. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but coming out of this holiday weekend, we go right into the tender deadline, which is Wednesday, December 2nd. So, yeah, December already. Crazy. So the Brewers have 10 guys that they have to make decisions on if they want to offer a formal contract for the 2021 season or not. Doesn't mean they have to agree on a contract by Wednesday. That's not what this is about. They just have to offer them a contract. If they don't even offer them a contract by this Wednesday, they are what they call non-tendered, and they will become free agents, and the rest of the league kind of has free reign over them. So we're going to start with the pitchers today. And the first guy up is Alex Claudio. So his projected value for next season is anywhere from 2 to $2.3 million dollars. The Brewers actually non-tendered him last year and then signed him to a contract shortly after. I'm curious if they do the same thing this year, but what do you think about Claudio? I never really have been a big fan of Claudio, so I'm okay with non-tendering him. Um, But I do understand his role, how he can be an effective depth piece for the bullpen. I just personally am not a big fan of his pitching, but... For a $2 million price tag, 
I am not going to be super upset if they sign him to $2 million. Unless, of course, they sign him in, quote, money issues that they have to trade Josh Hader. Then I will be pissed. <laughs> uh, hopefully the $2 million isn't the deciding factor here. But I'm kind of on the same board with you. I, I think he has value in the Brewers' bullpen just because of the way Craig Council likes to use pitchers. Like, he could go from a, a Drew Rasmussen in the high 90s to all of a sudden Alex Claudio. Or, you know, like the funky arm deliveries. Like, how many other managers are out there kind of looking for those things? I don't, you know, it's not very common. So it's definitely like a Craig Council type of guy who he likes on the roster. Does the, uh, like, coming on of Eric Yardley um, kind of with a similar role, obviously with the right hand, um, kind of impact what happened with Alex Claudio this offseason? I don't really know. Either way, I think the Brewers will kind of do what they did last year. They're going to non-tender him, and if they want to bring him back on a cheaper deal, maybe they will. If not, then it's not like I'm going to be heartbroken Alex Claudio isn't a Brewer next year. Yeah, I would I definitely agree with that assessment. It's it's one of those players, and you get this every year with every professional sports team you look at. There's always a guy that you wouldn't hate it if they're brought back on a low-money low deal, but also you're not going to be upset if they don't bring them back. That happens. Every sport, every team has players like that. Agreed. So Josh Hader is not one of those guys. <laughs> he is definitely going to be tendered a contract. I think the biggest thing with him is how much is he going to get paid kind of got gypped last year in arbitration uh what was it 4.1 or 4.5 something like that um, but this year's projection is 4.5 to 6.8 obviously as brewer fans you want him closer down into the force if you're josh Hader, you of course want to be making more money so uh whew. obviously he's going to be tendered but what do you where do you think his value is going to end up price tag wise it's definitely going to be one of those situations that this probably goes to the court to decide the contract, right? Because the Brewers aren't going to want to pay him close to $7 million. And Josh Hader, probably rightfully, deso rightfully so, deserves that $7 million. He's been one of the best pitchers. He probably has been the best pitcher over the course of the last three years on this Brewers team. So he deserves the money. He has not fallen off a cliff. He's still very, very effective and dominant still. So he deserves the money. And I get the Brewers wanting to see, you know, trying to get him for cheaper. And if not, let's let the court decide. Let's not give Josh the money that he's going to say, because Josh is going to say, I think theoretically Josh could say, you know, I want seven, eight million because he deserves that. You know, if you look at some of the other pitchers that are making money, like he's in average annual value, he's like just below the top 20. He's like 22 in relief pitchers or something like that. It's ridiculous. Like he deserves a lot more money, which will come eventually. Right. Uh, but We'll, we'll have to see what the decision is. And like I said, I think it's going to be something that obviously they're going to tender him. And unless Josh Hader is willing to take a hometown discount, which he shouldn't because he's pitched his way to make his money and he should make his money. He's not going to take that hometown discount. So it's going to be completely up to the courts to decide what this contract is going to be, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And last year, the court sided with the Milwaukee Brewers, gave them the lesser amount of money. And obviously, a big part of that was like save totals and all that. I mean, granted, he had 37 saves in 2019, which is pretty good. But obviously, there was guys with a lot higher totals. And this year, in a shortened season, it's harder to analyze that. Like he had 13 saves, which is like the best in the National League or tied with the best. But then he had a 3.79 ERA. So it's like, those are kind of contradicting each other right there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm assuming it's going to go to court, like you said, which side ends up winning that battle there. Um, it's going to be very interesting to monitor. Next up is Corey Knebel. So the projections for him is literally the same price tag as the last three years, 5.125 mil. Obviously hasn't done enough to earn anything more than that. I think the biggest question with Corey Knebel is, do the Brewers still tender him a contract? Because that's a lot of money to to give out. And 
He showed some flashes this year in 2020, especially towards the end of regaining his form, but he was he just didn't have it in the start. So if you're the Brewers, are you going to tender Corey Knable a contract? <sighs> this one I feel like is the hardest one, right? There, There's a lot of other players that, you know, if you need to save money or the player is just too good, like this is one of the harder ones to decide of, do you want to tender them a contract? Because we don't know what we're getting from Corey Knable. There has been monumental ups and downs from him. So it's very hard for me to just be able to say, okay, let's tender him a contract or let's not. Because yes, $5 million is a lot of money. But also, if he gets back to form, he is definitely worth $5 million. So it's all about whether you think Corey Knable can be back to the player that we have seen in the past. And he started to look like he was coming back into the form in late 2020. So do you think that is trending in the right direction? He's going to continue on that trend? Or do you think, you know, what we saw in the beginning of 2020 is going to be closer to what he is from here on out due to his the injury and all that stuff that happened? To me, I'm glad I'm not David Stearns and have to make that call because, like I said, $5 million is a lot of money. And if you don't bring back Corey Knable, what does that mean for the rest of the bullpen? And where are you going to spend that money to make up for that? Like, there's a lot of things that you have to think about. And the main thing is, is Corey Knable going to be the guy that we have expected him to be over the last few years? That is the big question. Um, I am hopeful that he's going to be that, but I am not confident because I saw him struggle the last two years in certain stretches of the year. So I want to see him come back. I think he'd be a huge, huge, huge asset to this bullpen. Um, but I'm not really sure if he's going to be able to keep up what we haven't expected from him. So that that contract is a lot of money for a guy that we don't know with the injury and everything that has gone on, if he's going to be able to keep up to that pace and get, or get back to that pace, really. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hopeful he's going to return just because last year he went on the aisle with that hamstring injury, which I not going to lie, I thought was a fake injury. <laughs> but after he came back from that, he said, oh, my pitching mechanics were off, yada, yada. And all of a sudden the velocity started ticking up. So I was like, oh, maybe it was a real thing. Um, and then that's that stretch of the year towards the end of 2020 where he looked a little better. So I'm going to hold on to that little light of hope and I'm going to tender him because I feel like if you say, hey, we're just going to make you a free agent, the Brewers get no return out of that. Sure, he got five extra million dollars, but if you at least tender him a contract, then you can either A, hold on to him this offseason, which I think is a good idea, or B, then you have the option to, you know, if you wanted to trade him to another team, you still have that option. Whereas if you just let him go, there's no return, which doesn't make much sense. So if they don't tender him a contract, they can still sign him to a contract, right? They could, but so could everybody else. Yep. So in that case, if you non-tender him, what do you think Corey Knable is making on the open market? Do you think he's making $5 million, or do you think the next best offer is $4 million from another club, and the Brewers can go, okay, $4.5 million, come back to Milwaukee, and still get him more money than he would make on the open market, but get him back at a cheaper price? Not that half a million is going to make or break this team, but... I feel like in this offseason, saving money anywhere you can is a good thing. Now, that is a risky proposition to be able to get him back here, um, especially if you think he's a big part of this team. And if if that's the case, you're going to tender him. But like, I, I just don't know what his value is going to be on the open market if they do not tender him. Like, I feel like there's a possibility we could get him back for relatively cheap because no one knows what Corey Knable is going to be in 2021. Yeah, and that's what makes this tough. Like you said, I feel like if the Brewers non-tendered him with the intention of signing him back on a cheaper contract, I I think it'd have to be for four or less. Like 4.5, I don't think makes sense just because it's barely much of a difference, kind of like you were talking about. But then the problem is I feel like there's, you know, is there a team out there that's like, oh, we just need one extra potentially dominant bullpen 
pitcher, you know, like the Braves or would the A's go out and do that? The Dodgers, like they've got some money where they could probably say, hey, we'll pay you five mil. Sure, we'll take it. So that's well, what scares me the most. <laughs> and, and the other thing, a team that kind of used pitching in a unique way and got very far this year, the Tampa Bay Rays, who aren't going to spend a lot of money anyways, if Corey Knable goes on the market, that could be a bargain spend for them and also be one of their best high leverage pitchers in the bullpen like he is he can be that good so there's a lot of question marks around Corey Knable but I think I've talked myself into just because even if it's 50 50 you like flip a coin whether you get the beginning of 2020 Corey Knable or you get the Corey Knable that we have known and love the very dominant pitcher like when back in the day when Hater was setting up for Knable and you got to the eighth or even seventh sometimes with with Hater, and you knew you were going to win the game. If it's 50-50, if we get 20-20 Corey Knable versus that Corey Knable and $5 million is the price tag, I say you tender him a contract. If it works out, you're sitting in good position. If it doesn't work out, Mark Adonacio is cheap as shit anyways, and he's not spending money to make this team better in 2021, so... It, it's not going to be a great year anyways. So it, it's kind of a swing for the fences, and you just hope that he comes back to the player that we did see in the past. Yeah, I agree. I, I That's the same boat I am in. Next up is Brandon Woodruff. So obviously there's no question he's going to get tendered a contract. Uh, his projected value here is 2.3 to 4.5. I would fully expect that he is going to be on the second half of that, the $4.5 million range. Um, for me, I feel like Brandon Woodruff is a good candidate for someone the Brewers should look to sign to a little bit of a longer extension. Like, as this guy works through the arbitration process, he's going to get expensive. So can you say, hey, let's sign a, a 5 or a $6 million multi-deal for like right now? That way he you save us money in the long term. Maybe it's a little bit more up front. But what are your thoughts with Woodruff there? So this is something that I originally heard on, uh, what was it, the Cold Brew podcast, I think, with your editors over there at Reviewing the Brew. They had Dario Melendez on, I believe, that podcast. And they were talking about this where they felt like that could be a way to get Brandon his money but also save it for the brewers, right? Be able to get them like a good amount of money, but also save money in the long haul. Like there, it's it could be good for both parties. Now, the thing is, is Brandon Woodruff knows that he can get paid a lot of money if he just keeps an arbitration and then takes his payday after arbitration, which if he continues to pitch like this, he's going to get a humongous payday out of arbitration and the way what year in arbitration is he in Tyler it looks like he's in his first but I'm kind of questioning that validity on baseball reference here so I'm trying to look into it <laughs> okay um so I mean you look if he gets that 4.5 million that's about what Josh Hader made this year well looks like in 2020 according to spot track Josh Hader is at 4.1 so you could realistically expect him to jump up like that hater number where they're estimating maybe 6.8 million. You could expect Brandon Wood, especially if he pitches ace level this year, you could expect that to be $7 million next year, where if you sign him to a long-term deal, you know, get him a little bit of long-term stability of, okay, Brandon, we'll pay you a little bit more this year. And it, it reminds me of the Freddie Peralta deal, right? of get him locked up long-term, which is good for the ball club, but also get him some money up front to get him, you know, a little bit more long-term flexibility, a um, little bit more stability, which I think is going to be important, even though, like I said, he could probably make more money if he just goes through arbitration. So it's whether Woodruff will sign that deal, right? And And you have to make it interesting to him. You have to make it something that he's going to be willing to sign. Otherwise, this whole talk is completely obsolete. But I, I do like that idea. Now, I don't know if Woodruff would sign it, but let's say you offer him a 
five-year, $30 million contract. Is that going to be enough? You guarantee a lot of it. I don't really know how baseball contracts work. I'm used to NFL contracts. I am up on those a lot. You know, I don't know how baseball, you know, can you really, really front load or back load a contract and guarantee most of the money? I don't know how all that works. But if you guarantee money and give him, you know, six years or five years, 30 million, which is six million a year. You know, that's a pay increase for this year if you front load it, which I don't know how you'd front load it in 2021. But let's say starting 2022, you have a little bit more money there, knowing that if he continues to pitch well, you know, in year four of this contract, you can re-sign and re-put that money on the the end of that deal as well to to keep him in Milwaukee. Um, That is what I'd like to see. Now, it's going to be pretty tough just because I do think – Woodruff probably knows if he continues to pitch the way he has, he's going to make a lot more money this way. Um, But we'll see. We'll see what happens. And it's something that's definitely going to be interesting to watch here over the course of this offseason. Yeah, it is. I mean, duration, like usually you think extension, you're thinking four or five years like you're talking about. But if you go with a shorter one, say two years, say you do it six mil each, that's $12 million over the next two years. Well, in arbitration terms, that might get similar if he performs well and gets that raise in what would be a second year of arbitration. Uh, but, of course, he has to play well to earn that raise. And if he, say, sputters a little bit next year, well, hey, then he's still getting $6 million if we gave him an extension. So that could be the incentive there um, to do maybe like a shorter-term deal with him um, as opposed to a little bit longer. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the Brewers can entice him into doing that, like you said. Let's switch over to the catchers here. So we have Omar Narvaez and Manny Pena to talk about. And UK Brew Crew kind of tweeted us out here and gave us a shout out, um, which I believe is ran by Mark, um, one of the hosts of the Roll at the Barrel podcast. Kind of want to know our thoughts on the catcher situation and what we should do there. Because obviously besides Narvaez and Pena, there's Jacob Nottingham to take into consideration. But he's pre-arbitration, so he'll be a brewer next year as well. So when you dig into Narvaez and Pena, you have Narvaez who is set to make 2.725 to 3.1 mil next year. And Manny Pena could be 2.1 to 2.3. So we'll let you go first. What are your thoughts on the catcher situation? Are both of these guys going to get tendered, one of them, or even zero? Well, first off, I do want to shout out the UK Brew Crew. That was a nice tweet they sent at us. Um, so that was, what, on Thursday morning? Yeah. yeah, Thursday morning they sent that out, which was probably Thursday evening where they're at. But we appreciate it. They ended their tweet with, love the work, though, guys, and happy Thanksgiving. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you guys, and thank you very much. But uh, to me, I think you keep on Omar Nervias. I love Manny Pena, but in a year that's, Money is going to be tight. Maybe you non-tender Manny Pena. And as much as that hurts me, because again, I love Manny Pena, 2.3 million, that's that's a substantial amount. And maybe that's money that you can spend and, and get a player. Or maybe you're allowed to, maybe now you can spend two more million on a third baseman or something like that. You know, you had... Let's just say, for instance, they had $5 million allotted. Now they can spend like $7.5 million. I just think you just because of the money situation, I think I, I would be surprised if they keep both of these players knowing that they do have some younger players that can step up in those roles. Um, to me, I just what Omar Narvaez has been in his career is going to be better than what Manny Pena can do for us. And I think 2020 was just a terrible down year. I don't see it really as a trend. If you look at some of his just raw statistics, batting average, the last three years minus 2020, so from 2017 to 2019, 277, 275, 278. Um, On base percentage, 373, 366, 354. Slugging, 340. And then a kind of big jump the last two years in 2018 and 2019 to 429 and 460 OPS then had similar type of jumps in 2017. It was 713 2018, 
794. 2019 was 813. So he was trending on the way up until this catastrophic 2020 for lots of players and just for the world in general. But to me, he was trending on the way up and 2020 was the only reason he went down. So I imagine even though he went down, I imagine he's going to be coming back up. He's going to be that at least 2017 Omar Nervais, I think, is what I would expect from him. So, again, that is a 277 batting average, 370 on base percentage, 340 slugging, even though I think the slugging will be a little bit higher, which if he if he slugs a little bit better like he has in 2018 and 2019, but the batting average and on base percentage stay the same, he's going to be upwards of 800 for his OPS. So he's just a player that I think offensively, He's, he's too good to pass up on for that price tag. And just because he had a down year doesn't mean I'm ready to move on from him. I agree when you say that Omar Narvaez is definitely, his, like his upside is going to be a lot more offensively than what Pena could give. Pena's no slouch offensively, but he's definitely not Omar Narvaez at his best, which was not this season, as you talked about. But for me, I feel like, as I mentioned on one of our previous videos, um, I think it's out on YouTube, what should the Brewers do at the catcher position? I think it's both or none. I don't think they just tender one of them. Because if you t- if you non-tender one of these guys, you're going in with the assumption that Jacob Nottingham's going to be the other catcher, which is fine and dandy and all until you realize Jacob Nottingham is out of minor league options. So... There's that to consider. Uh, so if the Brewers decide in midseason next year they want to move on from Jacob Nottingham because, let's say, his offense is dreadful like it was most of the season, well, then you have to DFA him and, and you're not going to get him, which that, that could make sense. Then who do you have after Nottingham? Do you trust Feliciano, who just got added to the 40-man roster to come up and didn't have a minor league season next year? I don't know. I think it's intriguing, but if you're in the middle of – the contention race in the Al Central, that's a big gamble, especially if Narvaez doesn't bounce back. Then you could be in real trouble. So for me, I think you tender both of them. I know it's a lot of money, like you said, like five-ish million dollars, um, but you have both of them to play around with here then. And obviously you have the righty, lefty. I, I don't think it'll be a platoon kind of like what we decided going to last year. I think Narvaez should get the chances first. Um, his defense improved a lot. I mean, maybe he just spent way too much this year focusing on the defense and and then his offense suffered as a result. So I don't know. 2020 was very strange, but I think the Brewers bring back this catching core for at least one more year. See, I, I just disagree with you, Tyler, because I think Omar Nervais is going to come back. He's not going to be the player we saw last year at the plate. He, like you said, his defense did get better. But Omar Nervais is not going to bat 176 this year. He's not going to have an on-base on base percentage lower than 300, slugging percentage lower than 300, OPS lower than 600. It's not going to happen. He's too talented of a player to have two down years in a row. Um I, like I said, I think we're going to see somewhere in between that 2017-2019 numbers. I think that's where he's going to be back to because he, he kind of needs to have a resurgent year. So to me, you bring him back. If Jake and Nottingham is not it, well, I think Omar Nervias is it, at least for the next couple of years. And you mentioned Feliciano. 2021 is literally the perfect year to potentially get him up to the majors. Because you have Omar Nervais and Manny Pena, you're not going to see him. And then possibly if you want to save money in 2022, then you non-tender Omar Nervais, and then you're relying on a player you did not see at all in 2021. So if you think Feliciano is going to be ready in 2022, you tender one of these guys to be your everyday catcher and... You know, once you feel comfortable with Feliciano, you bring him up, you know, maybe in June, July type area, and he's your fifth catcher, every fifth day catcher. Or anytime Omar Nervais needs a break, Feliciano comes in, he gets some major league experience, he gets a little comfortable, and then if he performs, you know, maybe he starts getting a little bit more opportunities, maybe he gets some pinch hit opportunities late in games, and then you start moving towards 
him being the future at the position, which he is. So you move forward to him and then you non-tender Omar Nervais in 2022 to save some money and get a young player that can be have a big impact moving forward. I just think if you tender both of them, then Feliciano is not going to get that opportunity and you're not going to know what you have at the major league level with that player. We're on the same track. We're just taking different routes there. We both think Feliciano is definitely like in the future, like, yeah, he's going to be great. I have no problem with Omar Narvaez next year. I think it's a great option. The problem is I don't think Jacob Nottingham is it. Like, well, I then not... we're, we're not talking about Jacob Nottingham. We're talking I'm... about Narvaez and Feliciano. So yes. who cares about Jacob Nottingham? <laughs> Which is exactly, that's why I don't want him as our backup catcher next year. I'd much rather have the reliable option in Pena. So you have both of those guys. Nottingham can sit, do whatever. I want Feliciano I would much rather have him get AAA experience in 2021 than every fifth day at the major league level because the last level Feliciano played was AA. He never got that AAA experience because no minor league season this year. So I'd much rather him get consistent at bats in 2021 than he could reevaluate from there. If, if he had a great season or if he is having a great season, then maybe you make a move in 2020 to get rid of one of most likely Pena. Um, but in an ideal world, you just non-tender one of them next offseason and bring Feliciano in to get Major League experience starting in 2021. So that's the kind of route I'm taking. So you're going to pay both of them this year and then pay one of them the following year. So you're just going to push off the future till whenever. Well, yeah, because if Omar Narvaez has a great year, you don't need Feliciano this year. <laughs> Lots of things to consider. Um, we're getting the same result in the end. Different routes is how we are getting there. So, sorry, UK Brew Crew. Those are two different takes on the catcher position. So, <laughs> you got to decide which route you want because we can't agree on one. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the infield. We got a couple other guys to get through here. First up, we talked about him already on a previous podcast. That's Dan Vogelbach. He is set to make 1.4 to 1.9 million. Cheap price tag. Um, last time we talked, I think we were both kind of hinting towards going towards the non-tender route. That is where I'm sitting. Are you? Have you switched at all, or are you still? What are you thinking? The money is cheap, right? So that's the positive going for Vogelbach. But to me, it's just, I don't see him moving the needle at all. And not even like, I don't see if we're going to be a 500 team, we're going to win 81 games. If we have Vogelbach on the roster, I think it stays at 81. He doesn't, he's not on the roster, it stays at 81. Like, I don't think he moves the needle at all either way. So maybe that is something you need in a cheap contract a player to fill out the roster, a guy to have on the bench. Maybe that's something you need. But also at the same time, I feel like there's better ways to spend that money. I just, I don't see the point of it. Like if if we're going to go with Vogelbach at first base, we might as well throw up a prospect that's not ready because I feel like they're going to give us very similar contributions at the, at the MLB level, if I'm being honest, because Vogelbach was good for the Brewers, but he was horrendous other places. And I don't I don't have a lot of faith, like I do with Nervias. I have a lot of faith that he's going to come back. I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to see the Daniel Vogelbach that we saw in Milwaukee last year. I don't know if that's going to be able to continue. So even though the money's cheap, I still, I, I don't, under, I don't, I wouldn't bring him back. I, I wouldn't understand them bringing him back. Um, even though, like I said, the money's cheap, so I guess I get it. But also at the same time, I don't think he's a player that's going to help your team that much. It's kind of like what we talked about last time. If the DH is there, I think maybe it's a little bit more intriguing to bring him back. But defensively, obviously there are concerns. And then you mentioned just like you don't know if he's going to bounce back. Like obviously what he did with the Brewers, not sustainable. He had a really good year with the Mariners in 2019. But before that, he has no track record. Whereas we are talking about Omar Narvaez, he has a track record dating back to, what would you say, 2017. So a little bit more encouragement there that Narvaez is going to bounce back. Vogelbach, we just don't know. Young players are so up and down all the time, especially like that. So I'm still leaning towards non-tender, um, despite how Milwaukee he is. <laughs> um, next up, Chris Ryan... Farley. Yeah. Farley. <laughs> next up is Ryan Healy. 
I really don't know if there's much to analyze here or not. He's set to make $1 million. Bring him back or no? <laughs> yeah, you're shaking your head no. I'm in agreement there. We're just going to move on. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Healy. <laughs> um, Orlando Arcia could be an interesting one. He is set to make 2.7 to 3.8. Again, we talked about him on the last podcast as well, too. What are you thinking? Should we tender him or non-tender him? Uh, I, I mentioned earlier that Corey Knable was one of the toughest ones. The other one in competition is Orlando Arcia. This is... Those two are why David Stern makes a lot of money. Or I guess now, who the hell is the GM now? Um, Matt Arnold. <laughs> yeah, Matt Arnold. But I'm guessing David Stearns is not giving up his role. I, I'm guessing David Stearns is going to be a big part of it. Vice President of Baseball Operations, I'm sure he's going to have a big say. Um, I don't know who makes the final decision, but I, I don't want to be those guys because especially in those two situations of – Corey Knable and Orlando Arcia, I, I just don't know what the right route is. I I flat out don't know. I really have no idea. Do you think Urias is the answer at shortstop? I don't have a lot of confidence in that. Do I think Arcia is? Nope. <laughs> is there anyone that's going to be able to come up and, and make a play for that in the organization in 2021? Probably not, right? So, like, to me, it's probably the best option even though if he makes $3.8 million like they're uh, projecting him to, that's quite a bit of money for a guy that we know who he is. And, and maybe that's what the Brewers need at the position, a guy that's solid defensively and a guy that we can throw at 7th, 8th in the order and gets jolts or streaks of good hitting at, the, at that position. Is that what the Brewers need? Because if they don't have Orlando Arcia, that is what concerns me. So I am leaning towards tendering him a contract just because I think he has played fairly well. His 2020 was started out very hot. Um, but overall, outside of Jed Jerko, was, he was the most consistent hitter in Milwaukee, which is bonkers. But I think you can definitely make the case that that's the case because he hit 260. He had an OPS of 734. You know, both of those are a lot higher than he normally is. On base percentage over 300. Career, he's been a 295 on base percentage. So he was better last year. I don't think that means that we're automatically should expect over 250. But at the same time, I just don't have a lot of faith in the guys after him. And that's why I think you have to tender him a contract, even though if he is getting that 3.8 mil... That seems like a lot for a guy that you're not really expecting to move the needle a lot, but it's better than the options we currently have, in my opinion. Yeah, I just wrote about Orlando Arcia this morning for reviewing the brew, and I did go with tendering him a contract, and you bring up a lot of points I talked about, like Luis Urias. If you if you non-tender Arcia, you're saying Urias you're it, which is a tad bit risky, right? Because while he hit his way through the minor leagues in the Padres organization, he has not unlocked that hitting ability at the major league level yet. So sure, it could be high reward, but it's also the, the, the ceiling or the floor there is, is pretty low. Um, where if you tender RC a contract, okay, now you still go in with the same mentality in spring training. Okay, RC and Urias, you're going to battle it out for the starting shortstop job. Like it's not guaranteed whose it is. So, there so that is means poss- RC is going to play well. <laughs> there, that is that too. But there also is the possibility you could have Arcia being a bench player making $3.8 million, which doesn't sit well in my stomach. Um, but obviously if that happens, you have the option to trade him uh, next year as well, which we've talked about how many times on this podcast. So <laughs> whether or not it happens or not, who knows. Uh, but either way, I just think it's smart to enter the year with Arcia on your team. Next up is Jace Peterson. Um, definitely a guy who doesn't move the needle at all, but he definitely does some some good things. Played a lot of different positions for the Brewers in 2020. Uh, got on base a lot via the walk. He's set to make 800 to 900K this year. So super, super cheap. Um, despite how unpopular he is, I think I would tender him a contract just because of his versatility and seems like something David Stearns would do. And if you end up DFAing him and he doesn't even play a single inning next year. 
who really cares. Um, but that's just my take. Uh, what do you think about Jace? And Jace is the poster child for low risk, low reward signing. <laughs> like you, you sign him, you, you get a couple innings here and there. You know, you get a game here and there because Christian Yelich needs an off day or you know something like that. Even though they have plenty of outfielders to stick in there. Um, and one of them we will talk about shortly. But Jace Peterson is a guy that, yeah, his versatility is nice to have. But Jace Peterson is the poor man's version of Hernan Perez. So I just wish we had Perez back, even though I think he had a terrible year in Chicago. Um, but overall, you know, for the money, very, very low risk. Again, like I said, you're not going to get a lot from him, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't even pitch. Like, come on, Jace, what are you doing? <laughs> That's the deciding factor right there. <laughs> I I miss Ernan on the mound so much. I miss him imitating Claudio and all of those things. I just, I miss that guy. He was so fun to have on the team. Yeah, him and Arcia were definitely a, a funny duo to have together. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the fans and the players probably miss that camaraderie <laughs> a lot. <laughs> All right, you kind of hinted at him. Our last player to evaluate here is Ben Gamble. So he had a club option for this year that was already declined at $2.5 million. He's in a unique situation where he's still arbitration eligible, so still under our club control. They declined it because he is projected to make 1.7 to 2.1 in arbitration this year. Um, But that being said, the Brewers still have to decide if they want to tender him a contract for 2021 or not. Um, the hard part for me is with Ben Gamel, you had him like come in this year, like revamping his swing. He had a power surge in summer camp. Lorenzo Cain opted out and you're like, yeah, Ben Gamel breakout season. Like he's going to hit 15 home runs in the shortened season. Well, newsflash didn't happen. I think he hit three, um, hit like 237. So not really good, um, in his increased role like he could have took over and and we could not be in doubt right now but unfortunately we are and you have younger players in Billy McKinney Tyrone Taylor Corey Ray and someone else I think I'm forgetting who are on the 40 man who could step in as pre-arbitration players to take that backup outfielder role so what are your thoughts on bringing Ben Gamble back I feel like the Brewers declining his option probably means quite a bit of what they think because if the projections are right, let's say he get, even though I don't know if he deserves it, but let's say he gets that top end of 2.1. I think you have written down here, Tyler, and the option was 2.5, right? Correct. So that tells me for 0.4 million dollars, $400,000. I don't think they're, if they wanted Ben Gamble on the team, I think they would have just paid it. Even though I guess, $400,000 if you can get the same player for less I guess it makes sense but to me them declining that option probably meant that that's it for Ben Gamble probably his batting average was considerably lower than his career average but his OPS was about the same so even though his batting average was lower is is that the guy that we can expect from Ben Gamble is is that the player better power but less batting average and if that's the case even for two million at this point let's get the young guys up let's let's get them some experience type of thing because 237 315 on base percentage 404 slugging for a 718 like again another guy that's not gonna really move the needle um unless he was the guy we saw in summer camp but the guy we saw in summer camp was like when Christian Yelich went on tears. That's kind of what we were seeing from Ben Gamble. Like, that's how good he was in summer camp. He's not going to be that guy. Flat out, he's not going to be that guy. So is 2020 what to expect from Ben Gamble? Maybe he hits a little bit better average-wise, um, and now maybe he just has a little bit more power with that improved swing. So maybe you can get years where he hits 260 and hits 20 home runs. Yeah, maybe that's a thing that you can get from him. But also maybe there's years like this where he hits 235, you know, in a full season he hits 10 home runs and it doesn't really help your team all that much. And it actually probably hurts your team. 
as he did this year with a war of negative 0.5. So I don't know. Is $2 million worth it? I really am not sure. But like I said, if the Brewers thought 2.5 wasn't worth it, I can't imagine they'll just automatically think, okay, now at $2 million, yep, he's going to be worth it. I, I just I don't know. I don't think that is going to be the case for Ben Gamble. Yeah, that's a good point about declining the option. I, I didn't even think about that, so thanks for bringing that to my attention. Um, I am writing an article about him, too, and I haven't finished it. So, uh, man, I think you bring up some really good points, and you mentioned the 20 home runs. Like, that number stuck out to me. Like, obviously, we haven't seen that from Ben Gamble. Like, the hard part about factoring into this decision was in 2019, he hit lefties really good, was a clutch gene, became a fan favorite with his Red Bull chugging ability, bouncing it off the cleats, you know, um, which is obviously really cool. But then you look down at the other options, as which is the way you're leaning to. We picked up Billy McKinney off waivers, and that guy hit 12 home runs in 2019 in less than 300 plate appearances. So hmm. he obviously has more pop in the bat than I ever would expect of Ben Gamble, even at like career best numbers, um, despite his change swing and what we expect out of him. So to me, I'm kind of leaning the same direction as you. Like, let's bring in one of these pre-arbitration guys. I think Bill McKinney is a good guy to fit that bill, especially seeing how he's a lefty hitter as well. Um, and we're going to save the two mil, and we're just going to move on, um, despite how much it pains me to say that. So I am kind of on the same board and non-tendering him as well. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the uh, tender deadline at all? No, I, I do think I'm going to miss Ben Gamble. If they don't bring him back, he he definitely was a fun guy to have on the roster. I mean, you look at Billy McKinney. He hit 667 this year, batting average. So if that doesn't tell you anything, he's going to be the best player ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, two hitting he had bats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his whole three plate appearances. When when I pulled it up, I saw OPS of 1.33. I'm like, oh damn. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw that he had three at-bats. Um, you know, that's a guy that you look at his career numbers, and he actually does have a okay amount of MLB experience. He had 132 plate appearances in 2018. and 2019, he had 276. So clearly, um, he pay, played 38 and 84 games in those two years, respectively. So, like, clearly not like an everyday type of player. But as your fourth outfielder, you know, it can make some sense. Those career averages, I guess it's not much better than Ben Campbell's career averages, but pre-arbitration, you're going to save some money there. Um, and his career numbers actually line up pretty dang close to um, – Ben Gamble's minus the batting average. Ben Gamble's batting average over his career has been better, um, but OPS has been pretty similar. Um, and like you said, the pop for Billy McKinney really brings his OPS above Ben Gamble's, even though um, Billy McKinney has a significantly worse batting average over his career. So is it worth it to bring a guy that has a little bit more pop in that position? I think so. Um, bring a guy in that, you know, every other week he gets a game that he plays a full game and you have a guy coming off the bench as a pinch hitter that can change the game every time he comes up to the plate because he does have that kind of pop. And even though Ben Gamble can do it, it's not the same type of – you don't expect it from Ben Gamble, which if you look at the slugging percentage for Billy McKinney at 437 – you can expect some pop with him. So that's definitely something that I think makes a little bit more sense. Um, I don't know. I don't think Corey Ray is ready for the MLB. There, But it, there's some other guys that Billy McKinney can make sense for a year or two till we get some of those younger guys ready for the MLB if they ever do. Um, so to me, that makes a little bit more sense. Get a cheaper guy that is going to provide a lot of the same things except you're going to get a lot more power and pop from him coming off the bench. Yeah, I think if we keep talking about him, we could say he's going to be the 2021 season MVP. <laughs> Maybe not quite that far. Um, I mean, you look at his 2020 numbers, Tyler. That's better than Christian Yelich right there. So. <laughs> 
that doesn't take much. <laughs> Let's no, see I'm saying what? I'm saying those numbers are better than MVP Christian Yelich. <laughs> we, yeah. We'll we'll just throw away the sample size. One thir- 1.333 OPS. That that's better than Christian Yelich in 2018 and 2019. So that's true. Andy's a ginger. <laughs> Us gingers have to stay united. So hey, hey, you're only a half ginger. You're only a ginger on your face. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right. Before we get even to way too much, too much more personal information, <laughs> let's wrap this podcast up. Uh, next week, uh, winter meetings start December 7th and run through the 9th or the 10th, something like that. So there'll be lots of rumors coming up in the weeks to come here. Um, not quite sure what we're going to do for our podcast leading up into winter into winter rumors because obviously whatever we say on monday is probably gonna be irrelevant by that night uh so we'll see we'll have to do something a little bit different um but until next monday we will see you later brewer fans trust in sterns <laughs> <laughs>